0: All right, we'll go ahead and get started this evening. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. (coughs) Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the fourth commandment tonight, Exodus chapter 20. Brother Barry, you're pretty rough on this thing, man. This thing rattles around like. (laughs) Calm him down a little bit. Exodus chapter 20 will begin in verse 8 as we get started. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. One of the things we look at is his fourth commandment says to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But by the time of Christ, this had become unintended basis for legalism. That these Jewish leaders began to make this almost so difficult And they focused on the labor part. And I want to share some of that with you. To make make sure no work was performed on the Sabbath, 39 clarifications of work were devised. Each category was capable of endless subdivisions. One category forbade the carrying of burdens and filled it with many prohibitions for every situation. Anything equal to or heavier than a dried fig was declared a burden. So it was permissible to carry half a fig on the Sabbath unless you put it down and picked it back up, thus doubling the weight to a full fig and so breaking the Sabbath. It's crazy. I couldn't even keep that straight. If a person was in one place and extended his hand, which was holding a piece of fruit, into another place, and the Sabbath began at that moment, the person would have to drop it at that instant. If not, he would be breaking the Sabbath by transporting a burden from one location to another. On the bright side, one could pick up their child on the Sabbath. Providing the child's hands were first examined to make sure they had nothing in them, because that would mean they were lifting a burden. Is that the craziest thing in the world? But not on such a good note. False teeth were not permitted on the Sabbath. False teeth, because they might fall out and the person wouldn't be permitted to pick them up, thus sinning against the Sabbath. I did lose a crown the other night, but I won't get into that. But anyway, another category prohibited travel. Rabbis define permissible travel on the Sabbath day as 2,000 cubits or 1,000 yards. To walk one inch further was an egregious break of the Sabbath. However, if a rope was tied across the end of one street, creating an eruv, E-R-U-V, then the legal fiction was that the whole street became a single house, so one could walk 1,000 yards beyond the rope. Interesting enough, modern-day Orthodox Jews have perpetuated a eruv by marking off areas of modern cities with symbolic gateways of thin wire stretched between tall, slender poles. Today, there are these Eru's in L.A., Miami, Toronto, to name a few. There is even one that contains the White House, so they can move around in there and not break the Sabbath. One of the largest categories dealt with that they dealt with was, was labor. Women were forbidden to gaze into a... Women, you might like this, I don't know... Women were forbidden to gaze into a mirror on the Sabbath because they might discover a white hair and be tempted to pluck it out, which would be a grievous sin. <laughs> I love that one. But anyway, if eating a radish, you could dip it in salt, but not left too long since one would be performing a labor of pickling the radish. Spitting was allowed on the Sabbath as long as you spit in a handkerchief or on a rock. It was unlawful to spit on the ground because one might inadvertently scuff the spittle on the earth, which was with his sandal, thereby plowing and cultivating the earth. Is that not crazy? So so being righteous was dependent on where a person spit, pretty much. But you stop and think about all of these laws that they placed, and nowhere in there is this the way the Lord intended it to be. So as we look at the Sabbath this evening, the Sabbath, this commandment was meant to enhance God's people's love for him. And the flow of his favor became a relentless burden. Israel's great Sabbath day became a day of don'ts. That's not what the Lord intended. That's not what this was called to be, but it became a day of don'ts. And our goal today is to uncover the Sabbath for what it is, the way God intended it to be. And to see how it changed into the Lord's day and how it can change us today. So this commandment was a new law for God's people. They did not have a law anywhere close to this. This was the first time they'd ever really heard of this law. So look over in Genesis chapter 2 real quick. Genesis chapter 2, you're very familiar with this. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Genesis 2, 2 and 3 says, And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. God celebrated a, a divine Sabbath for himself. It was not a law directing mankind to observe the Sabbath. There is no command. Not even a mention of mankind in that in that com- in that commandment. Everything is focused on God. There's no evidence that the Sabbath was observed by Israel before being commanded to the in the Ten Commandments. Noah, Abraham, the patriarchs—none of them mention the Sabbath keeping. They may mention prayers. They mention circumcision they mentioned sacrifices they mentioned all of these things but they never mentioned the sabbath god gave manna one week before mount sinai so flip over to exodus chapter 16 flip over to exodus chapter 16 and let's look there for just a moment exodus chapter 16 we'll look in verse 23 23 and 29. So verse 23, and then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. Lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. Look in verse 29. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days, Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So here he is speaking. God was preparing them for the Sabbath that he was getting ready to command them. This is really the first mention of that to the Israelites. And so here they are preparing for this Sabbath. So now we look at the Sabbath requirements. The Sabbath requirements. Flip over to Exodus 20. We were just there. We're going to read it again. Exodus 20. Verses 8 and 10, we're going to look at the requirements. Looking at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. The sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So we know the emphasis on the commandment is total rest. Nothing is said about worship or religion or religious observances, but we know it was implied. The rest part was taken and built into a legalistic program, as we just looked at. But one thing we know is man is made to rest. Not for work. Now, animals were made, and they were commanded to let the oxen rest for a day so they could have the strength to do labor. But that was not man. Man is not an animal. But it wasn't that we rest for strength. It was rest to rejuvenate us, to realize that there is more to life than just work. And the rest is a great grace. And you think about this. With mankind, as they began to come through time they worked every day and so in a sense the sabbath was a grace to the israelites you're going to take a day to rest and it doesn't mean we're going to look at a moment doesn't mean not do anything but it's the work that they were doing and and we're called to work and especially with men we love to work we're defined by our work we do all those things and we could do it all the time but that's not good for mankind. There's been studies done throughout history in the French Revolution with the, the Russian communists did a 10-day work week. And they all failed because man has to rest. You've got to rest your brain. You've got to rest your body. And so God was showing grace by saying, I want you to rest. And so we look at the Sabbath's function next, the Sabbath functions. God alluded to the memory of his own divine Sabbath. On the seventh day, he rested. The Sabbath became a remembrance of God's own rest from the work he created. A remembrance of his own Genesis rhythm, this rhythm that he had. Six days, rest one. Six days, rest one. Six days, rest one. And we know that God being omnipotent, he didn't need to rest. He didn't even break a sweat. Why would he rest? But he was showing us the importance of it. He delighted in rest. He blessed it and sanctified the seventh day. The Mosaic Sabbath built on this, sir, this creational rhythm, this rhythm of six days off one, six days off one, six days off one. And we think about our calendar year. The year is made up of 12 lunar months, each having 28 days, which then gives us four seven day phases. The Sabbath rides on these rhythms, the 12 lunar months, the seven days in the the time of the four quarters, if you want to say, of the rhythms. Physically, man needs a rest in the seven-day cycle. This has been proven repeatedly in history. Spiritually, the seven-day pattern is best for the soul. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll look there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we'll look at verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. We know that Israel had been in Egypt and they had no rest. They worked every day of the week, every day of the year. Verse 12 says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your ox nor your donkey nor any of your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. And as we think about this, with this redemption that took place with Israel, just like what would happen with us. With redemption came rest. They hadn't had rest for hundreds of years. And now because they've been brought out of bondage, the Lord commands them to rest. So not only were they to rest, but they were to celebrate their redemption. So here we begin to see, as, as it speaks in Deuteronomy, about how the Lord's Day would come into this. But they were not only to rest, but they were to celebrate redemption. Remember that. The Sabbath's purpose was to grace God's people. That they understood that they were brought out and they were able to find rest. To grace their bodies with rest, to grace their souls with God's grace of redemption. Look over in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, it speaks of this and the joy that comes from the Sabbath. Isaiah chapter 58, we're looking verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and, you, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here's Isaiah talking about when you honor the Sabbath and when you do it the way God created it to be done, established it to be done, there's joy in that, there's peace in that, and he will bless you. So he goes on and we look at the Sabbath and Jesus. The Sabbath and Jesus, what does that look like? And by this time, the Jews had strangled the grace of legalism. They had strangled this grace of the, the Sabbath, now it was so legalistic, as I said earlier, all the things they could not do. Not the things they could do, but the things they could not do. And Jesus came to change all that. The Mosaic the Mas- Masoic, I came say it, Mesoic Sabbath was a demand not to work. It wasn't a demand not to work, but not to be inactive. It doesn't mean you just sit around and do nothing all day. That's not what it meant. That's not what it was intended to do, but it was to rest. It was the rest from your normal job, not quit doing everything for the day. And we're going to look in a moment, just like in church, some people try to say, well, we're supposed to rest all day Sunday. Well, if we do that, we can't serve one another in church. We can't do some of the things that we need to do. So look over in Matthew chapter 5. We'll see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17, Matthew 5, 17. A lot of people, the, the leaders, religious leaders, were critical of Jesus, that he was doing things on the Sabbath. But as we stop and look at it, Jesus was not doing nothing really on the Sabbath. What he was doing was the laws that the religious leaders had placed in all the don'ts he wasn't respecting. But the actual Sabbath, the way the Lord intended it, he did. And we know that by verse 17, 517. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. If the Sabbath, the way they had built it to be, was so he, you could not do anything then Christ would not have been fulfilling the law. He'd have been going against the law. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going against it. I'm not abolishing it. I'm not going against it. I'm coming to fulfill it. And so Jesus did nothing contrary to what the actual Sabbath that the Lord gave intended for it to be. He was in harmony with the Sabbath law. And he superseded the law by establishing the Lord's day. So now we're going to look at the Lord's day. The Lord's day is Christ's resurrection His resurrection brought a new day, the first day of the week. Sunday, which became the Lord's day. So we're going to look over in the Gospels. So keep Matthew, we'll stay in Matthew. We'll look at all of them real quick. Matthew 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1. You'll be very clear what the Sabbath is. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So we know it was the first day of the week. Look over in Mark chapter 16. We're just going to hit all of them as we go through. They're all about one verse long. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James... And Siloam brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Christ being resurrected, we know, very early in the morning of verse 2, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So we know it was the first day of the week again. Look over in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Verse 1. Luke 24, 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces on the earth, they said to him, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But is, remember, but is risen. Look over in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And again in verse 1. John chapter 20. In verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter. And to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking, he saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple came into the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. So we know that on the first day of the week, Christ resurrected. Now go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 10. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. So we know that the first day of the week was the resurrection, the Lord's day. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. John speaking, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So here it is, the Lord's day, again recognized. And that's why we call it the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. This was practiced in the New Testament churches So now go back to Acts chapter 20. We established the Lord's day. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20. See how it was established in the early churches. Acts chapter 20. We'll look in verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And we know that during this time that they did not um, not work all that day and then go to church all day. He says there was many lamps in the upper room in verse eight and they were gathered together. And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, we realize why he was tired. He probably worked all day. He worked all day, then came to church that night, like many of you have done. So many of you probably, thank God, were not on the third floor, okay? But, uh, but in that, he'd come, and so it wasn't that they were set aside the whole day, that they didn't work, they didn't do anything, It was a day that they'd remember the Lord and they would celebrate and worship together. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If Eutychus had been sleeping all day and resting, he probably wouldn't have fallen asleep. That's what they meant by that. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. It says, now concerning the collection of the saints... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. When I come, whoever you approve by your letter, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So when you meet together, when you come together on the first day of the week, so we, knew the, we know that the New Testament churches, as Paul was speaking, as they've shown the disciples, that they would all meet on the first day of the week. That's why we do this today. Now, Sunday is the first day of the week, and it became the day of worship. And there are similarities between the two, but they're not the same. The Sabbath, all the things required of the Sabbath is not true for Sunday, but there are similarities. So when we compare the two, we know they were both weekly. The Sabbath was every seventh day. Worship, the Lord's Day, is the first day of every week. They were both weekly. They both deal with redemption. Israel's freed from Egypt. Christians freed from death and sin by Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Three, they have a similarity in that they are to worship. The Sabbath day was to worship and remember that God brought them and redeemed them and brought them out of Egypt. We are to worship our Savior in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was reading about some of these old-timey pastors. And one of them, I can't really remember his name. There was multiple ones of them, said that he required his church Every week to sing a song about the resurrection. He was going, That's why we're here. This is what it's all about. And that's true in our life. And a lot of our songs we sing are are along those lines as well. Back then they didn't have quite the array as we have today. But that's why we come together. We come together to worship. That's why we're here. Look over in Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews chapter ten. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter ten. Look in verse 23. We'll begin there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse t- 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. and Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. So here we go that as the writer here is saying we remember the Lord's day. We remember worship. We remember church. And what do we do that to stir up in one another to stir up love and good works. That's why we come together to stir up love and good works. Also, to encourage one another, to lift one another, to pray for one another, all of those things. And so when we think about the Lord's Day worship, what does that look like? As we look at this for a moment, I want to challenge you in some of these areas. When we think about Sunday worship, there's a couple of things I want to look at. First, preparation. Preparation. We need to be prepared for the Lord's Day. And I think too many times we've allowed ourselves not to come prepared for the Lord's Day. Maybe on Saturday evening, especially if you have kids or even if you don't, that you start to prepare your day for what the next day is going to look like, what the Lord's Day is going to look like. Maybe you pray about the the service. You pray about the day. Lord, I pray that you'll work in the service. Lord, I pray that you'll work through me, that you'll speak to me. And what happens too many times, it's like an afterthought. We wake up and we try to then decide what are we going to wear, what we're going to do, all these things. And it becomes chaos. And especially if you have kids. And you're trying to get them all going and ready. And when you come, you are not prepared to hear from the Lord. You're preparing for a funeral. Probably one of your kids. You know what I mean? You just about had it. And so Saturday evening, prepare get get to bed early that night that is not the night to stay up till two o'clock in the morning and if you have kids begin to teach them I'm not saying there's not going to be something that happens you have to stay up late but you begin to teach them okay Saturday night we want to get to bed early because tomorrow is a special day we're going to worship the Lord and so we're going to get to bed at a decent time we're going to get rest we're going to get up in time to get there we begin to prepare our hearts the morning before you come you do that before you come that morning usually we wait till we get there or we wait till after sometimes so we prepare next is participation come ready to participate come ready to learn to sing to serve to give one of the things that we think about this is so many times we come to church not to participate but to be served we come not willing to give and to stir up love into someone else not to exhort someone else but we want someone to exhort us and it should be both ways it should be going both ways but we need to come ready to participate and as I think about that and I think about that Christ established the Lord's day. And when we come together and we do not want to participate. What is that saying? It makes you really wonder if you know the Lord. If you know who he is and everything about him. If we come just or else why do we come? If we're not coming to participate, if we're not coming to worship. Why do we come? Sometimes we say, well, I come for my kids. Wrong motive. Wrong motive. Because if that's the reason you're coming, when your kids get old enough, they're going to know your motive and they're not going to come. But you need to come to worship. And then preservation. You preserve it. So you go home and you focus on what you have learned. You talk to your kids about what they learned. You take time to make the messages applicable to your life. You may go, well, we know our preacher and it's hard to do that. Let God's word do it. But we go home and we talk about what we learn. We talk about what we heard, how God spoke to us. And I have some families right now that I have them, when they come to church on Sunday mornings, they have three things they have to, to figure out. So they come in, they're preparing themselves to come in, number one, besides worship, we've already talked about that. They're coming in for the message either Sunday school or message when I preach. Number one, how is God speaking to me? Number two, how is God speaking to me as a husband or wife? Number three, how is God speaking to me as a father-mother? And so one of the times we were doing it, and I'd made a mention of 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all these our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does that apply to you personally? And they had thought about it and they had they already done it and they came up and they said, That spoke to us. How did it speak to you? Well, that when we go to the Lord, He's faithful and just to forgive us that we confess our sins, and He makes us right with Him and there's unity. And I said, That's good. How did it apply to your marriage? And the guy started speaking, he goes, Well, that if my wife confesses to me or I confess to her, if I'm to be a picture of Christ, and she confesses to me, I'm going to be faithful and just to forgive her. And I'm going to tell her how much I forgive her, I love her, and I'm glad she's my wife. Boom. And then I said, How about a father? Well, I teach my kids that they can come to me and they can confess I'm not going to hold it over to them. And when they confess their sin to me, that and then to the Lord, of course, but to me, that I'm going to be faithful and just to forgive them of that, not hold it over their head, not continue to bang on, on their head about and bring it up all the time. And so they were able to come in prepared, they heard, and then they were able to apply it. Then they were able to teach their kids the very same thing. Talk about who you met. And here's something I'm going to, you're going to get a preview of this, but I'm going to throw this out there one of these days coming up as we go through Colossians. That here's one thing I want our church to kind of to do some, to help us think outside of ourselves. Think about this, when we're thinking about who we met, that if we walk up to somebody, And we were talking to them. We may know them. Doesn't matter. Let's say I'm walking up to Kirk and Leslie. And I'm talking to them. And I go, You know, I'm going to be praying. I'm praying for. We're praying. My wife and I are praying. Our family, we're praying for one of our families every week. And we're going to pray for you all this week. Is there something I can pray for you about? And you know, and you start doing that. And all of a sudden they go, Well, you know, my son is going off or have a family member that's going through this, or I'm having surgery, whatever it may be, and then we get a chance to stir up love and pray for somebody and encourage them. Instead of coming, then we're coming with the eyes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to stir up good work. I'm going to look to stir up love. I'm going to look for ways to encourage someone. And you think about then someone comes up to you and says, you know, we're praying for you this week. Is there something specific we can pray about? And you start going... Yeah, just just think for a moment. If we're all coming prepared, so we're coming in together as husband and wife or by yourself, family, whatever. And all of a sudden your kids are going into their department, whether it be youth or whatever, and they're looking for somebody in there they can stir up love. They're looking for somebody they can encourage. They're looking for someone possibly they can pray for. And they've watched the parents do this, model it, and we begin to see this happening and it's going all over the church. We're coming with a, a motive, and we're trying to preserve what we're teaching. And then we wait, but what happens is so many times we go home, not this time of year, but in the fall. And we get home, we don't have time to talk about what the service was about. If if the game's on at noon, we got to get in there and get the game on. And then Next thing you know, it all passes by, and we don't have any time to even talk about it. And so it's a great opportunity, especially if you have kids. When your kids come home, and we would do this with ours, we would sit around and ask them what at dinner, at lunch, what did you learn? What was your lesson about? What was this? They'd even ask what I spoke about, and then that would usually cause, they'd mention everything I messed up on, how I misspoke or whatever that happened to be. But you begin to do that with them, And here's what happens, especially as parents, when they begin to tell what they got out of the message, whether it be the preaching or Sunday school or children's church, you know where they're at. You know what's going on in their life because the way the Lord spoke to them. So it's good to do that. Then the last part is the Lord's Day rest. The rest part. It's a break from your crazy life. It's to recharge your body and soul. And most people, the best day is this for this is Sunday. In our world, in our culture, I mean our country, Sunday is pretty much a day off in most cultures. It's changing some now, but it is a day off that you can rest. This is not to say you can't play a game, you can't do things with somebody, you can't do things with your kids. It's, it's just that you're not working your ordinary job. You take a day to rest your mind, your body, your soul. And we need to first try to do our best to make the Lord's day holy. And then we take it to change the rhythm and refuel our body as the Lord did. Six days he worked, one day rested. Israelites, six days you work, one day you rest. Church, six days we work, one day we rest and worship as Israel was commanded as well. So I challenge you, begin to prepare for the, for the Lord's day. Begin to prepare your heart. Begin to prepare your kids to get ready for the Lord's Day. And I think Satan is really good and puts a lot of distractions in. And sometimes we can do it by streaming. We'll just stream. But that's not preparing for the Lord's Day. That's not coming to stir up love into one another. That's not stirring up hope and encouragement to one another. And that as we come through, and, and I, I, I hear things about even people in our church And we're good at this. We're good at greeting people. We're good at talking to people. And I've had people visiting our church. And um, I'm going to say something. Forgive me. We have Lionel and Natalie over here. They're from Cuba. And they're in the asylum program and all of that here. And they wanted to praise God, so they came over to our church. They live right over here, and they just came over. And then I got to meet them, and they wanted to talk, and they have a family, and we began to talk. They asked the Lord to save them, and they've been coming. Our church has loved them. They put their kids in school, and one of our ladies in our church kind of befriended them, Sophia Ramos. And so she works in the school system trying to help them, and she went over to the school that the the two younger ones were going to, and she asked the superintendent, she goes, do you, do you have any kids here from Cuba? She goes, how do you know that? She goes, well, they go to my church. She goes, what church do you go to? She goes, "Kelview Heights Baptist Church. She goes, that explains it. I said, what does it explain? She goes, Lionel, the dad was here, and he doesn't speak great English, and he's talking in Spanish. But he just kept talking about this Kelview." He goes, Kelview loved us. They've loved us more than our own people. They have been there for us. We've got so much. God is, it's, God is, it's a miracle. And he just kept talking about Kelview and Kelview and Kelview. And we're going, who is Kelview? <laughs> that's what it's supposed to be. We should be doing that with everybody. And we do. I'm just saying that's kudos to y'all. We do. And, and the thing is, we never know who the Lord's going to bring here. We have eyes. We're looking. We're watching. We're ministering. And we come together and we worship him. And the people who come in see something different. They see people who love them, care for them. The only way that happens is when we're, we're prepared. And we've got eyes looking. And when we do that, it brings about a whole new Lord's Day in our church in our lives, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, as we looked at your word tonight and the grace that you've given us. Lord, as we recognize the Lord's day and the grace that we were given through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, the Sabbath that the Israelites were given as they were brought out of bondage, of the Egyptian bondage, Lord. And they were, instead of working seven days a week, they were able to rest a day. And reflect on how good you were to them. And Lord, I pray that we will take seriously the Lord's day. That Lord, we will prepare beforehand. We'll be ready. We'll have our kids prepared and ready for that day. And Lord, we'll come ready to stir up love with one another. Lord, we'll come looking to encourage one another to bring hope to someone. And Lord, I thank you that our church does that. And, Lord, I pray that we'll be faithful to continue to do that. And, Lord, we'll look for ways to show your love to people who come in who may be lost. Or, Lord, they may have no hope. And, Lord, that we can be that encouragement to them. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Pray that you be as we go out this week. And, Lord, as we get ready for the Lord's Day this coming Sunday, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.